That's right. Fast Money does start right now. And we are live, as always, for the NASDAQ market site in New York's beautiful, bucolic, farm-like Times Square. Wow. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Sullivan. Your traders on the desk today are Mr. Wow, Tim Seymour, Carter Braxtonworth, David Seberg, and as my friend says, Guy Adami. Mm -hmm. Tonight on Fast Money, the Bitcoin bloodbath rages on, the cryptocurrency sinking back below $7,000. What can save Bitcoin? Does it need saving? Tom Lee of Funstrat is here. Plus, Facebook already has your data, and now they want your bank account. It sounds scary, but not to investors. The stock's surging. We'll bring you the latest details. But first, are you tired of winning yet? The trade war, of course, that is. President Trump maybe can take an early victory lap. The United States continues to be the best-performing major stock market in the world, inching ever so close back to all-time highs, taking on trade rivals Japan, Germany, and China, whose markets are all under pressure in the past three months, China down nearly 30% from its highs. So is this what winning looks like? And at what point does the global sell-off start to put pressure on stocks right here at home? Guy. Well, Brian, first of all, yeoman's effort by you. 5 a.m. worldwide exchange. Back at 5 p.m. 10 the hard way. 10 the hard way. 10 fives, the, baby. 10 the hard way. And now. Carter Braxton oh, Worth I mean. on the desk. This is special nice. nice. On the desk. Brings special special yeah. clear. Beautiful. Um, are we, are we tired of winning? Are we tired of winning? Uh, clearly, the market's not tired of winning. And, and quite frankly, I thought when Facebook reported down 20% in 10 minutes, I thought that had ramifications for the broader market. Clearly incorrect. So here we are, the S&P at 2850, within a percent, percent and a half of the all-time high we made, I think, on January 26, VIX sub 12. Leads me to believe that the, the rally is going to continue to ratchet higher. doesn't mean I think it should be, but it feels like the market is saying, you know, it's zero sum. Everybody else's losses is our gains. Yeah, Tim Seymour, you look at what's happening in China. We cannot overstate the magnitude of the investor losses there. We talk about the Shanghai index. That's the big domestic one. The Shenzhen, kind of the... The Nasdaq, I guess, if you will, sure. more tech heavy of China, that's down 23% this year. It is taking it on the chin. Will it will it hurt our markets ultimately, or is it good because capital will ultimately flow here? Look, I, I think when we've been concerned about China, we've been concerned more about the macro. We've been concerned about the capital flows. We've been concerned about the currency. We've watched this market locally underperform for years, and I, I, I would not be concerned if in a vacuum the Shenzhen was drastically underperforming. If you want to trade this, by the way, or if you want to look at how you could trade this in the ETF land, A shares, ASHR is down 36% from the six-month highs uh, to where we sit today, emerging markets, and since April 1st are down about 23% against the S&P. So these are extraordinary moves. I would just simply say that what worries me about winning so much is that ultimately that tailwind is something I think gives this administration the, the feeling like we can go out there and be as aggressive as we need to on the trade war and that actually we're not too worried about it. The market's kicking butt. And, and you know what? They're pretty happy and maybe they should be. I mean, the real issue is can we decouple, right? And we know the MSAI all-country world index, which, think about it, it's 47 countries, it's 3,000-plus stocks. The, the, without the U.S., it's down 4.3% year-to-date. With the U.S., it's up one3 And the S&P is up 6 meaning can we really decouple? It's not so much about China, but it's... Well, haven't we already, Carter? I mean, no, in, in a way... Meaning, but can it... Is it sustainable? Can the U.S. 
sort of hold up. Your point was maybe it's just getting capital flows, but at some point there's no precedent for. Well, real China's capital. either a sign the world is slowing down, or China's got problems. Investors aren't confident, and right. they're going to bring their money here. If it's the former, that means we will ultimately also slow down at some point. And and we are. Some of the recent data has been very soft, and and, and things like housing, autos are very weak. And uh, yeah. look, if it was so good, why is the cost of money stuck at three <clears> percent? <throat> look, I mean, I think in China, and, and we talked about this in a couple of shows ago. I mean, the fact they want to restrict the capital outflows. I mean, that's a, that's a goal of theirs in the near term. So I worry less about that. I think they'll do anything they can, growth at any cost, to make sure that they call it manipulate, call, call it, call it, you know, make the data look the way it needs to look to make sure they mitigate the outflows of capital from China. When you look at the S&P, look at, I mean, the numbers. I mean, the fact is earnings estimates for the S&P 500 have increased gradually. I think we're looking forward now, 179, 178 bucks for next year earnings. You put a you know, a 15 times multiple on that. I mean, you're looking at I mean, that's at kind of an issue. If we're growing at 25% earnings and le revenue of 11, why are we only up 6%? And that's the oh, S&P number. The median stock is up only 2 I mean, we're right, well, still, well, what time frame that, are you using? Well, year to date. I mean, yeah, but we've had a heck of a run in the last two years. But Carter, I think your point sure, is... Sure, but I mean, if, I, if things are right. so good, how come we're not progressing? Trade. So I think the trade concerns are keeping a lid on the market. I think we look at the bottom now of, this, of the tape, of the S&P. I think we could base around 2,800. I think the sell has been 2,850, right? And that's sort of where we are right now. Until something gets really you know, shifts from a trade perspective, a trade narrative, I think the market is just range-bound there. Well, I'll I tell you what. I, I also think if you want to look at the outperformance of the U.S. to Germany or to Japan um, or even to emerging markets, I think you've had very significant extended periods where this has gone on and it has not uh, been an implication of what's going on with, with our economy and what's going to happen. And, and I know it's not necessarily the same thing, but emerging markets over an eight-year span since they peaked in 2010 have underperformed the S&P by 63%. That is a mat that's that's a three standard deviation event. At some point, it will turn. But if you've been trading that, expecting it to turn, you've been destroyed. So just saying, hey, from a market's perspective, let's forget about the economies because everybody's getting downgraded slightly. Europe's been downgraded about a tenth of, of a percent. I've seen Japan downgraded a tenth of a percent in the last couple of weeks. U.S. may or plus or minus. The markets can continue this, Brian. I, I think ultimately it is capital flows. You know, and the president will say that he's got some equity to sort of play with in terms of the of the stock market. You know, he can let, it can go down right. because it's gone up so much under his watch. Whether it's true or not doesn't really matter. But I'll say this. August 2015, we woke up one day to a huge Chinese devaluation of their currency. Yep. By February of 2016, the S&P had traded down to 1810. Since then, the Chinese have been playing really nicely in the sandbox. They have been manipulating their currency, keeping it stronger right, that's until right. recently. And it's been getting weaker almost every day. And I don't want to go too bad in this rabbit hole, but at no. six, eight, seven is the number that you're talking about. Says. You're talking about the Renminbi to dollar exactly. ratio. So if right. we so, get that seven, that seven has been in the past kind of a line in the sand because been. in many ways it devalues, it basically devalues Chinese goods that are coming to the United States in some way, not directly. It won't mitigate the tariffs, but in certain ways it still makes Chinese Chinese goods artificially cheaper against their U.S. counterparts. Mitigates. And there's not much that we can do about that. No, and, and, and frankly, China's been resetting their basket against currencies uh, that they believe are a better weighting. So they can do whatever they want. I would just go back to what's the biggest problem right now? The biggest or the biggest thing that would confront our equity market is the Federal Reserve, folks. And when the period Guy's talking about is right when the Fed hiked for the first time, by the way. As much as it was telegraphed, that was a big part of where I think markets started to hit the skids. So um, if you think the Fed is going to be you know, benign, then I think you have an opportunity to see markets continue to go. But make no mistake, even with great earnings, right. the S&P multiple should be contracting if the Fed is in a hiking cycle. That's it. 
and, and it's not going to necessarily mean going off for the races. And I do believe we've priced in a lot of this, Carter. I do. Yeah. yeah. So we've been, remember, we've been here before. Think about it. We had that plunge low that Friday, February 9th. We got within 70 basis points of the low on April 2nd. Well, this is the reciprocal. We're now 70 basis points from the high, meaning we've been ricocheting inside these goalposts. And even if were we to break out, is it going to be off the races or does it get pushed back down? Well, let's, let's, guys, let's frame this today. Okay, the Dow rises 39 points. Okay, on a normal summer day, you'd say, who cares? Up 39, it's insignificant. But the Dow rose 39 points at a day where China came out with a very personal attack against President Trump. The Iranian sanctions went back into place. Someone tried to kill the leader of Venezuela yesterday with or Saturday a drone. with a drone. A right. lot of geopolitical stuff happening, and the Dow is still able to eke out these... They're right. small, but they're gains. I don't right. want to make light of any of those things, except for the fact that we have seen politics not matter. Right, uh, politics... I mean, we, we ultimately... And, and, you know, I just think it's going to come back to where people feel, feel we are in the Federal Reserve cycle and where we are in the overall economic cycle. And right now... I think and the well trade rhetoric that. cycle, I think, is a super important factor there. I mean, I think that's the part the market is okay. right now. Is, that's what's holding back the market. I think that's the okay. biggest factor holding back. So, the so they, let the, hold on, hold on, Carter. I want to go a little deeper with that with David. So let's say that President Xi of China and President Trump come out with a joint news conference to say we've solved all of our differences. Everything's fine. Right. What happens market, to the market? Market rips. Rips higher. And market rips higher. There's no question about it. That's the overhang in the market right now. I think the, the complexity around what the Fed's going to do. Is the Fed going to go too fast, too slow? I think all that is just sort of, again, important, but a little bit distraction and noise in the background right now. The most important thing, period, end of story, is the trade settlement and figuring out some sort of, you know, even, even you know, keel there, if you will. I mean, at the end of the day, people are fearful of what Trump's rhetoric could and how it could impact this. What if it drags on for months? Well, why would then the market's he, why, dead for months? The why market's basically trading Why sideways. would President Xi do something before the midterm elections? I mean, the guy's president right. for as long as he wants to be. He can play the long game. He That's doesn't need to point. do anything. And so the real question is... I was trying to get to David's uh, idea well, of how much it might I, be I, I think, frankly, capital outflows could be the biggest reason why. I mean, I think the fear of that, mitigating capital outflows, is a very important thing for them. They're not going to devalue their currency. They can't do that. I mean, they want to make sure that you can continue to buy oil in, in, in Chinese yuan-denominated currency and people will use it as a go-to a stable currency in the fact that they devalue they just lose all credibility in the global landscape so i, th I think it's super important fair to keep enough that in mind. i think that's the hope i think again when you're playing a hundred year game instead of a one month game i think you can do pretty much everything you want and to answer i think your original question can you keep buying stocks here i still think value over growth and i think value comes in the form of health care maybe we'll talk about that later but if you look very quietly ever since president trump went after pfizer a month and a half two months ago that stock has been oh. on fire has been the rest of the space. But, by the way, quickly, Tim, can we just point out that, that China's loss, maybe who's gain? Maybe not us, India. The Indian market, basically at an all-time high. Yeah, and, and yeah. there are certainly pockets of excitement in emerging market world. Southeast Asia is chugging along, so it's not only China school. All right, guys, great discussion there on Global Macro. Coming up, we're going to get a little more micro. Web 2.0 stocks are soaring after reporting earnings moments ago, but the chart master, Carter, says these momentum stocks have come too far too fast. He'll explain and make the case and why it might be time for you to make a big change. And Bitcoin getting crushed again as another Bitcoin bull gets his thesis shredded. Tom Lee will join us. And later on, Facebook could be coming for your bank account and it has investors, get this, pressing the buy button on the stock. Why? A lot more to do. All those stories ahead as we are live from Times Square. Look at how fast things move in New York. We're back after this.
Uh, we have got some breaking news in the sports world, particularly on NASCAR. Let's get right out of Eric Chemi at CNBC News headquarters with more. Eric. That's right, Brian. So Brian France, who was the CEO and chairman of NASCAR after being arrested yesterday in the Hamptons for drunk driving and possession of a controlled substance, he, as NASCAR is now issuing a statement, will be stepping aside an indefinite leave of absence from the organization. He will no longer be CEO and chairman. That role will be taken up by his uncle, Jim France. Remember, the France family started NASCAR more than 60 years ago. It's a privately held company, but there have been talks to buy out the entire family stake by a public company, whether it's a media company or a private equity firm, multiple billions of dollars possible here. So this is a big deal for a big company acquisition that might be happening this year. Yeah, it certainly might happen as well. And there, there, is, a, there is a subsidiary company, International Speedway, but that's, I want to be clear, Eric, that's run by his sister. That's run by Lisa France That's Kennedy, right. this is not run by Brian France. So everything happening here is in the private world, not publicly traded. Exactly. That's right, Brian. All right. Eric Chemi with some breaking news there on NASCAR, by the way. Do watch, though, ISCA. You never know how investors are going to react if they get confused. All right. Let's switch gears. Facebook making friends with the financials. Get this. Facebook wants to capitalize on your banking habits. We are not kidding. All right. Our Julia Borston is live in Los Angeles with this developing story on Facebook. Julia... Well, Brian, Facebook is in talks with banks about partnerships to give consumers access to their account information and customer service through its Messenger app. Facebook telling me that they've talked to J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, and others about giving their consumers access to their information, not for ad targeting or data mining, but just those customer service relationships. Now, Facebook says it has similar partnerships in place with American Express and PayPal. Facebook saying, quote, a recent Wall Street Journal story implies incorrectly that we are actively asking financial services companies for financial transaction data. This is not true. Like many online companies with commerce businesses, we partner with banks and credit card companies to offer services like customer chat or account management. The question is whether Facebook will be able to overcome concerns about privacy and data security. A source tells us Bank of America is not considering any sort of social media partnerships. And J.P. Morgan says that it is not sharing any of its customers' off-platform transaction data and is not enabling any person-to-person -person payments through Messenger. City telling us, quote, while we regularly have conversations about potential partnerships, safeguarding the security and privacy of our customers' data and providing customer choice are paramount in everything we do. Now, it does make sense, though, for Facebook to focus on this kind of information that consumers want access to frequently to help make money off of Messenger's 1.3 billion user base. Brian, back over to you. Julia Borston, a big story. Thank you, Julia. Live from Los Angeles. David Seberg, all these headlines on Facebook. European privacy rules, Cambridge Analytica, this, nobody seems to care. Right. I mean, in today's news, I'm surprised that the stock was actually up on the news today. And we're having a, a bus tour. Are you surprised I at this point? I am surprised. Nothing, you, nobody seems to care about Facebook. About the stock's down 24%. 84%. I, I mean, well, of no, course they care. I don't think the stock's going to be... Netflix is down more. No, the point, the point, you're telling me Facebook's the same story? It was because of the earnings. I'm talking about the privacy. I'm talking about the privacy stuff. That, that was an earnings-related... But here's the issue. That high... It's totally privacy-related. Do we right, get back ahead. there... Next week, next month, that high, that Wednesday, July 25th, 218.72, and a drop like that, 24%. Right. You do not recover from damage like that in weeks or months. Right. That high will stand for a long time. And, and let me talk about the other I, damage that I don't think it was about an earnings call. What they told us on the earnings call is that effectively their core product, guess what? Your data. 
They can't tell you what it costs to secure it. Guess what? That's something that means their cost of production is significantly different than you thought. So forget the credibility, forget the existential threat of the centralized platform, which I think people are going to get pretty sick and tired of. They can't even tell you what, what the multiples are and, and the cost of, of goods sold. But is. This is the biggest I, I, advertising venue ridiculous. in the world. Yes. I mean, think about it. I mean, it is their reach is unprecedented. And I think the value in just that alone is, is really well known by investors. Investors understand that logic, that philosophy, and that sort of type of investment. So I say to you that, again, I look at next year's earnings and say earnings are going to be maybe, say, 12 percent. I'm saying all I'm that trying confident to say, about they would never allow it to drop 24 percent. All I'm when trying to say six, is this. Down eight. Well, I'll tell you why it dropped. it dropped because Mark Zuckerberg threw a bomb on the investor base. Correct. Talking about long-term margins being 30 in the, in the, in the mid-30s or something like that, which scared the heck out of investors. But that was people take a big but, pause. But my, my only point, Tim, was that you've got in the, in the spring, you had the GDPR, the European privacy rules, you had Cambridge. The st- all Look, the stock did I, during I that new cycle was go up. It I, fell on that. The question is, do I'm investors talk- believe in a 30%, mid-30% mark? By the way, that's not until like 2025. So you look at it and say, do investors actually believe that what, what he's talking about is a near-term threat to the story? Or is he sandbagging well, it and trying to keep the government office back? I think it's a little of both. Sandbagging and trying to keep the government office back. Let me ask Guy back. Adami a question. Um, Guy, um, do you consider <laughs> Facebook a community of sharing? No. What do you consider? It should be. I mean, theoretically, it should be. No, it's a place where basically you put your life out there for them to, to, to monetize. work their way monetize. You can monetize. Would, would the term data broker be, you know, possibly I think more it's accurate. Relevant? And to back up Tim's point real quick, um, headcount was up at Facebook. Headcount was up 47 percent. Year over, year over year, up 47%. That's a staggering number. So to Tim's point, they're hiring people. They're, not, they're hiring people to figure this out. That right. costs money. That in, inevitably hurts margins. That's why I think I'm in the Carter Worth camp. I can't imagine that in the near term we're going to revisit that 218 I mean, level. The odds of that are, are so low. As to oh, I don't, think, I don't think that's a near-term inflection. <laughs> but, 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 I do, so, but what I'm saying is the long-term story, in my opinion, is intact. I do believe, I do believe, in my opinion, that this is a little bit of a sandbag. They're managing the long-term story here. Mark Zuckerberg said on the call, not quarter by quarter. Is the long-term trend line still intact, even with that earnings Well, it's, it's not even a trend line. It's a parabolic straight up. But the issue is this. Has sentiment been broken? Has, is it as loved as it's been loved? I don't think so. You don't think so? There's no way this management can even tell you what their cost of goods sold is. And do you, do you give this management team a premium valuation based on how they've handled it. How about this? If Mark Zuckerberg, if Mark Zuckerberg, I'll throw this out to anybody, if Mark Zuckerberg stepped down and became chairman, not CEO, does Facebook stock go up uh, that, or down? That's not going to go well. With. I don't think but it matters. I think Sheryl well. Sandberg really runs the company, and most people know that. So I look at it and say Sheryl Sandberg's the, really the linchpin there. If Sheryl Sandberg were to walk away, that would be an issue. You're leaning into my shot, David. You're leaning Ooh. into my shot. Ooh. All right, hurt my hand. It's in his contract. All right, coming up, check out this mystery chart. Now, this stock down 10% in the last three months, but the move has one trader rolling the dice, and yes, that's a hint. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Excuses, excuses, that's all I hear. Yeah, that's what frustrated hashtag hodlers are saying about the latest Bitcoin crash. But Uber Bitcoin bull Tom Lee says better days are ahead, and he'll explain why when Fast Money returns. In the beginning, there was one. At Gisson of Montreal, Quebec. Well, at Gisson of Montreal, Quebec, you are now one of 250,000 Fast Money Twitter followers. Thank you, Fast Money fans, for your support of America's post-market show. 
and join us at CNBC Fast Money. And no, the account is not run by an intern. Welcome back to Fast Money. Web 2.0 stocks have been untouchable all year. Cloud services company Twilio jumping a whopping 168%. The online retailer Etsy soaring 108%. Both names reporting earnings moments ago. These momentum stocks just continue to charge ahead. Twilio and Etsy, they are up big after hours. In fact, 14 and 9% respectively. So Tim Seymour. Is it still a sign that at least those two momentum stocks are still a good bet? I'll tell you what, in Twilio, what their numbers showed you is that they actually see significant reacceleration in their growth. And that was something that ultimately, especially in the small and mid-cap land, a lot of these tech companies have been very easily pushed around. Uh, they come with a lot of fanfare. Ultimately, growth needs to support that. It hasn't. This stock, though, at 72, 73 bucks right now is right at all-time highs and right at a very significant resistance level. I, I like the growth. Um, I think the multiple is still really tough to get behind. I mean, look, you can get this kind of move out of stocks that are mid-cap names. These are not big names. Right. The bigger issue is we've lost some momentum in some of the real powerhouses. Frankly, Adobe, Microsoft, even Avisa and ISRG, things that are $100 billion plus are not um, showing the life that they've shown as certain value-type beaten-up names have come to life. Do you think money is coming from Microsoft to Twilio? No, it's just that I'm saying there's not enough money in Twilio. Wouldn't that be a greater headwind, though, Carter? I would think if, if the leadership of the big boys, I would think that the little guys would get pulled up in the wake with a beta of two versus the big boys. So shouldn't the big boys be killing these guys? Well, I mean, we're talking about just such different assets. Yeah. It really doesn't matter. Meaning, I'm just saying this kind of after-hours move is atypical of a very super-cap name, right? And that's all. That, that, well, I think it's a, it's a good sign. It Well... It's a, not a bad sign for momentum stocks. Listen, I look at the Etsy quarter and say, all right, decent quarter. But their guidance wasn't anything to shake a stick at. And you're looking at a stock that trades at 63 times forward yeah, earnings, I and mean, it's up 4 or 5% in the aftermarket. So if nothing else, you know, in the environment that we find ourselves in, I think if momentum stocks are tell you anything, you know, maybe this is a bit of a, uh, a white flag in the short term. All right. Momentum stocks, at least those, may be soaring, but Carter says that might not be the case for much longer. Carter Worth, could you head over to the plasma and break this all down for yeah, us with yet another acronym? Acronym. Acronym. Uh, there, there's a lot of ways to play momentum. There's a great ETF that I share, MTUM. Um, but let's talk about um, what you'd either call value, defensive, whatever it might be. This is simply just the, the first letter of these five sectors, and these are basically defensive uh, assets, as, as, as all will know. They're cyclical assets, industrials, financials, and then they're growth assets. But this area of the market, just take a look at some of these numbers to put this in context. These five sectors, you've got 32 stocks, 63 utilities. Keep track over here, percentage of the S&P. I'm going to move forward some more. And what we've got is essentially a third of the market, 160 stocks. So if you were to consider this an asset, Right? We know that the tech and discretion are about a third, and we know that industrials, financials, materials, energy are about a third. So this very defensive third of the market, let's look at this in the context of performance of late in the context of underperformance. The top chart is this basket, five sectors, plotted equal weight, those 160 stocks. And what we know is that, yes, it's been up, but here's the real important thing. We're starting for the first time to outperform the market. In fact, this group over the past two weeks up almost 3% versus momentum down. 
So take a look if I put in the following lines. And what we have here for the first time, and I'm just going to zoom in here so you can see this, we have broken above the relative downtrend line, meaning what we know is we have failed at this line over and over and over, and now for the first time, essentially, we are moving above that downtrend line. That's a very important development. Let's go on. Um, here is the issue. Again, this is just five sectors. You can call it whatever you want. It's not meant to be a cute acronym. It's just the first letter of each sector. This is the momentum ETF versus those five sectors. This is too wide a spread. And what we know is that this and this, that the convergence underway, I think, is likely to continue. I think it's a heads you win, tails you win. If the market keeps going, this beaten up area of the market's going to play catch up. It already is, healthcare in particular. And if the market's going to unwind, you're going to get defensive characteristics from things like REITs, utilities, healthcare staples, telco. All right, Carter Worth, thank you very much. So, guys, are you, are you buying into church? Church. Well, I'll tell you what, it's, it's fascinating, and I think Carter's point is that you're starting to see, first of all, a, a very oversold condition, three, four, well, you can't get, three standard deviations is probably the extreme, but you get to a place here where they look like they're starting to make a move. What I would point out is that most of these stocks outside of real estate, to me, are representative of an economy where you're actually seeing rates slow down and actually wind down and actually people be reaching out and grabbing these companies, which they did at other times in the market. That's interesting. It's not what we're getting from the market. But can, I, can, can I take a letter out of the acronym? If I were to play the game, I would take the... Can I buy an H, please, Brian? You want to subtract Would you, would you want to sell it? I'm going to... No, I want to buy... Are you going to sell wanna, the H short? I want to be long the H. Can I take the you H take out? The oh, you want to take... I want to make it curt. I want... I don't want to make it anything. I just want the H. Can I take have the, the H? Take the H. Because I think healthcare. I think healthcare is the most undervalued sector out there. I think people are starting to catch on now that there's value in healthcare. So I would extract the H, go long the H, and let Carter do whatever he wants with Kurt. <laughs> I mean, just what Tim said, the most important thing, the, the rates, listen, we're supposed to be at 3, 5, 4%. We have a very prominent person calling for 5%. It's like a show me trade. Rates are not moving higher. All right, there you go. Guy Dami loves the H. He loves healthcare. thinks it's the most undervalued sector out there. All right, still ahead. Just when you thought it was safe, another Bitcoin beatdown happening over the weekend. But Fundstrat's Tom Lee says there's something about the crypto craze that everybody is missing that could lead to big gains. He'll be here with why. And it's Pete Nigerian like you've never seen him before. And we're not talking about this cardboard cutout oh, of Pete. God. The real Pete will join us from vacation with a very special fast pitch that is right after the break. Who knows? He could be pitching Creepy. for the Mets soon. We could use him. All right. Welcome back to Fast Money. 533 in the East Coast. Thanks for joining us. It is time now for what we call in this fine show an instant replay. Mm. Remember, back in October, Pete stepped up to the plate and pitched Home Depot. They have bought back. This is not engineering. This is just truly being friendly to the customers and to their shareholders. 35% of their outstanding stock has been bought back in the last 10 years. That's massive. They've been aggressive. And take a look at that chart. It gives you a little idea. Is the stock at highs? Yes, it is. Do they have growth? Yes, they do. This is a stock that I think goes a lot higher from here. Well, since that call, Home Depot has soared almost 20%. Hey, anybody seen Pete Nigeriano? There he is, Pete Nigerian, coming to us live from Minneapolis. Pete, mm -hmm. good call. Congratulations, my Thank friend. You. Hopefully some of our listeners and viewers paid attention, made a little cash for themselves. But what sure. do they do with Home Depot now? 
Oh, you still want to hold on to Home Depot. I think that this, this is the time of year where they just continue to crush it. And quite frankly, one of the biggest uh, competitors out there, everybody seems to think, is Amazon. I'm not worried about Amazon. I think that they're doing everything right right now at Home Depot in terms of they are progressing forward and they're absolutely competing in every single aspect. Do they even go up against Lowe's? I think they're different companies altogether. So I tend to like Home Depot still here. I still think there's still upside. I love the name. Why are they different than Lowe's? Well, you know, everybody wants to compare them, but they're they're separate. And when you walk into a Lowe's versus when you walk into a Home Depot, when you look at the professional side of the business, absolutely no comparison. And they actually do sell to a different customer base. Lowe's sells to their customer base. Oftentimes, that's a different group altogether than the Home Depot side. So, I mean, I understand they're both in the same business. But I got to tell you, they are actually different businesses when you really look at them very closely in terms of who are they targeting and how are they doing with their target. Home Depot has been absolutely mm -hmm. dominant. Okay, okay, Pete. So Home Depot was a yeah. big home run for you and anybody who took advantage of it. Yeah. So now we ask you to give us, please, another mm. fast pitch. What's your best <laughs> shot? All right, so tonight I'm going to give you Las Vegas Sands. Now, the casino industry has been under some pressure, but I've got three points that I think are very, very valid right now. When you look at management and you look at Sheldon Adelson, is there any other company that any of you guys can look at where you say 50% of the float is owned by one person or one entity? This is Sheldon Adelson. Really shows you the commitment that he's got. By the way, in the open market, he has never sold a share. So that's pretty interesting for me. I like that aspect of it. When I look at the fundamental story right now, yes, you get an incredible dividend yield. And yes, you've got a company that's buying back shares at an aggressive pace. They bought back another $100 million worth last quarter. And on top of all of that, they have an absolute incredible balance sheet. They are absolutely one of the very best. They are the best in the industry. And then you want to look at growth. The earnings growth right now at 26%, pretty impressive. You look at the revenue growth of 10%, that's pretty impressive. Take a look at free, or excuse me, cash flow. That has more than doubled in the last two and a half years. So it seems to me that this is a company that's well undervalued right now. And I think that there's plenty of upside. One last thing. One of the insiders just bought 10,000 shares just last week. So somebody else is betting on the idea that this stock has been sold off too far. I agree. I own the stock, Sully. I just bought it last week, the same day that I saw the insider buying. Okay. Anybody got a question for old Pete here? Hey, Pete, it's Tim. How you doing, man? Um, yeah. Very I, good, sir. I really like the story. I'm concerned about mm -hmm. Macau. And, and sequentially, as we just saw in these numbers, it's down quarter over quarter. And things might mm -hmm. get worse. Yeah, you know what? I think there is some pressure there, but I would throw this at you, and I think you'd agree with me. How about the fact that they've got that Singapore operation that's 24% of their revenue, and it's been very, very, I mean, incredibly strong. Now, I think that Macau right now is probably flattened out. It's probably slowed down a little bit. I think it's in that mode where it's consolidating, Tim, and I think we will see an acceleration again. But obviously, back and forth with the United States, all the th different things that are going on right now, I just think that it's in the consolidation part for Macau. I think we'll see growth again in the not-too-distant future. Okay, Pete Nigerian loving LVS. By, by the way, it was $130 stock pre-financial crisis, 69 and change. Yep. Now, no more questions. Yep. It is time to vote. Are you buying Pete's fast pitch on Las Vegas Sands? Let's start. Tim. I got to tell you, I'm torn on this one, but I'm going to hold them, which means I'm not buying it. I think it's going to happen. I think these guys, as a group, have a little more to run before it's a buy, uh, but it's a setup. Carter. Down arrow for me, not buying. <laughs> 
Wow, this is a tough crowd. Like, Tim, I got, I, mean, Pete, I got your back. I'm a buyer. I think you hit this on every level. Management, dividend, growth, the entire thing. So I could have like it when one person owns 50% of the float, though, David? And they haven't sold a share. 50% of the float. I'm fine with that. Okay. I'm very comfortable. Guy Dami? Yeah. I'm going to go over to Pete because I miss him. Pete, I'm coming to you. Do you see me running over a... Give him a hug. I do. I'm I see you. Pete, you look so, quick. I just got to tell you something. That that was right there. You see that right there? Everything he did there. I mean, that right there. See that? What are you pointing to? His Amish beard? That whole thing is why I'm buying Las Vegas Sands. It's the face, man. The face that launched a thousand ships. That, that's his neck guy. That's, that's tremendous analysis. Well, he moved. The face that launched a thousand ships. They're not getting too far because everything around him is lakes. But that aside, it's still quite good. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Nothing to say. Just, just smile, Pete, and be thankful you're yeah. in Minneapolis. We'll see you soon. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate it. All right. All right. The see desk you. is see split there. What about you at home, folks? Are you buying Pete's pitch for LVS? You can vote on the Twitter machine at CNBC Fast Money. We're going to reveal the results later on in the show. Plus, the Bitcoin horror show continuing, the cryptocurrency or commodity falling back below 7,000. But Tom Lee says, don't be worried. Bitcoin story will have a happy ending. He'll be explained here to explain why when Fast Money returns. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. The Bitcoin horror show continues. The cryptocurrency now back below 7,000. This after a short-lived rally that made it look like a comeback was in store. Bob Pisani is breaking down what is behind really this never-ending saga for Bitcoin and the other cryptos, Bob. Hello, Brian. You know, it didn't last very long. Remember Bitcoin, that summer rally? It saw the crypto go from 6000 to 8000 in less than two weeks. Well, it's fizzled. This has happened before. Bitcoin's now trading back below 7000 Now, the important thing here is one of the reasons the SEC gave for denying Bitcoin ETFs is that the market seems subject to fraud and manipulation. And the SEC argument got a big boost today by an article in the Wall Street Journal that claims dozens of trading groups are manipulating the price of cryptocurrencies on some of the largest online exchanges. Now, the journal reviewed trading data and online communications among coin traders this year and identified 175 pump and dump schemes involving 121 different digital coins, which the journal said show a sudden rise in price and an equally sudden fall minutes later. That's a classic pump and dump. This, of course, is illegal in regulated markets like the NYSE or the NASDAQ, but cryptocurrency exchanges are unregulated markets, so you can get away with a lot of this kind of activity. Now, there hasn't been a lot of good news for Bitcoin recently. Even Friday's news that the Intercontinental Exchange would be setting up a regulated Bitcoin trading platform, certainly good news, failed to move the price up, maybe because Goldman Sachs said they don't believe in the rally either. In its mid-year report last week, Goldman Sachs said the price of Bitcoin would likely continue to decline, saying they believe cryptocurrencies do not fulfill any of the three traditional roles of a currency. They are neither a medium of exchange, nor a unit of measurement, nor a store of value. Of course, we know Goldman is interested in, of course, setting up Bitcoin trading operations, so there's many different parts of that company and their opinions on Bitcoin. Bottom line here, Brian, is you've got a global uh, commodities, a series of coins that trade in unregulated markets, many of which are apparently very easy to manipulate. That's a long, long road to respectability, and that's the problem we've got right now. Brian, back to you. 175 different pump and dump schemes identified by the journal. Wow, Bob Asani, thank you very much. All right, so, and as you know what, the whole crypto universe really is, to quote Bon Jovi, living on a prayer. All the things that the biggest bit. 
There you go. Nice. All the things the biggest Bitcoin bulls have bet on and prayed nonstop just haven't happened. As you heard, their hopes for a Bitcoin ETF were dashed when the SEC rejected a bid for what would have been the first ever one that they speculated on. Institutional money also thought to come in and boost Bitcoin, but many institutional players still hesitant to get in. This is thanks to the lack of regulatory clarity around crypto that bulls thought would get sorted out by now. And there's been nothing so far on that front. But our next guest is telling Bitcoin investors to just keep believing because at least one of their prayers will be answered this year. Fundstrat's Tom Lee is here. He is breaking down what that is at the plasma. Tom, give the crypto investors something to feel good about right now. Well, I think one of the ways to see how the crypto market's reacting to the news is to look at dominance, you know, the, the, the cryptocurrency share of the overall market. And I want to focus on Bitcoin. For many years, uh, it was the only game in town. And you can see at the start of 2017, it was 80% of crypto market, and, but in 2017, it, that number actually fell. And that fell to 37%. And that's because last year we had ICOs and a lot of new projects and people got very excited. And I think a lot of folks thought this is how the year would play out, that the dominance would fall. But instead, Bitcoin's dominance has actually been creeping up. Uh, in fact, in the last couple of weeks, it's actually soared to the highest level all year and it's at about 48%. So it tells us that the news that we've seen from the SEC saying Bitcoin's a commodity, to ICE's announcement and the potential for an ETF is causing investors to decide that Bitcoin is the best house in a tough neighborhood. And so I think Bitcoin dominance is actually showing the market is reacting to what's been taking place. All right, Tom, there you go. Why don't we invite, should we invite Tom we over to the to. desk? We I gotta invite Tom. We got a lot of questions. Over. Get over here, Tom Lee. We got questions, right. don't be afraid. Come on. You've been here many times. So, Tom, you've also got this thing, the misery. I want to talk more about yes. this misery index that Oops. you watch that chair. Tim, help That was almost Man. miserable. Come on, come on, that was, come on in. Come on in. They're going to pull the rug out from under me. Quick. That was on good. On a steel like horse, it. he rides right, right now. Oh, my right. I just love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, the misery index. Yes. First off, I know you've talked about it before. Quick refresher. What is it and what's it looking like right now? Yeah, the Bitcoin Misery Index measures what we expect a holder of Bitcoin to be feeling. So it's uh, generally a contrarian indicator when the number is low. So the number is low means people are miserable, and below 27 means people are so miserable that historically Bitcoin does quite well. And when it's high, above 67, it means people are euphoric, and generally that's a time to sell Bitcoin. Okay, and so where it is right now is... It's at 39. 39. So it's recovered. We're not totally dismal. That's right. But it's been creeping up, and I think that's the case. I think Bitcoin isn't broken if, it, if it's holding at these levels. I think the fear in people's minds is that, you know, it goes back to below 6,000, and all of a sudden it feels like Bitcoin's going to never pull out of this bear market. And, Tom, we've had drawdowns, right, in 11 and 13 and 15 75%, 80%, 90%, this was just in line with those other three drawdowns. Do you think it's different this time, or do you think this is just like those other drawdowns every two to three years? Uh, Carter, I, I do think it's in line with other previous sort of bear retracements. Um, Bitcoin's just much bigger now, so it is much more dependent on new fiat inflows. And so, you know, I think in some ways we have to think about how is someone either in Asia, because that's where a lot of the new money comes from, or who's a traditional investor going to feel willing to buy Bitcoin. And I think, you know, these announcements we're, we're seeing are actually are positive, but in some ways it, Bitcoin's a show-me token right now. You know, yeah. it's like Missouri. 
Does, you, does it show you how crowded it is? I mean, when you think about the trickle-down effect and all the people that made so much money buying Bitcoin early, watching it go to 17,000, selling some out to fund other, other ICOs or other sort of coins, you look at it now, and they're much less, less apt to do that, of course, but does that give you an indication of how crowded right, the, the investment class is right now, meaning that it's concentrated between you know, a 5% of the, the, the total ownership? Um, well, it shows you that right now crypto is pretty much Peter paying Paul, right? The market's right. just moving within itself, but there's about 50 million crypto wallets. Uh, if you look at it from an internet lens, that's 1994, because that's about when there were 30 million internet users, and internet users now is about four and a half billion. Um, I, I think crypto wallets are going to be sort of matching internet's trajectory, so it's early. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I guess we're gonna, we, we need to get that one big hurdle, don't we, Tom? We need to get that one, the blessing, the, the, some, somebody to come out well, and anoint Well, there's two hurdles. It. There's, you know, effectively, well, there's three, it's, as we it's, talked about, but I'm saying it's we need custody. one of those three. It's, custody seems to be the most important thing. I, I think that's really what's safe? holding up. Yes, absolutely. No doubt. Um, and yeah. then the SEC gets on board. I mean, I think ICE is solving the custody issue, but, you know, the reality is in Asia, nobody really knows who ICE is. And I think if you're a traditional hedge fund, you know what happened with the futures market. So maybe you're worried about ICE and you want to see how it happens in November. There we go. Intercontinental Exchange. Tom Lee of Fundstrack. Good stuff as always. Thank, Thank you. you. See you soon. All right. Weight Watchers is a big loser in after-hour sessions. Down 4% despite an earnings beat. We're going to tell you what is wrong with Weight Watchers. As always, live at the NASDAQ in New York's Times Square. And we're back with more Fast Money right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. We have got an earnings alert on Weight Watchers. That stock is down after hours. Find out why with Leslie Picker in the newsroom. Leslie. Hey, Brian, that call is still underway. By and large, a pretty solid quarter for Weight Watchers. The shares, as you mentioned, slipping a bit in after hours, trading down almost 5% there. Uh, but it's risen, uh, doubled year to date. Mindy Grossman, who's been CEO for about a year, is speaking on the call now about her focus on the brand's transformation. We've brought the best science of eating healthy and the inspiration of community to millions and millions of people around the world. We're proud of that legacy and embody that to this day, but now we can be so much more. At our February 7th global event, Oprah said it best, healthy is the new skinny. We can be more holistic, more diverse, and reflect what people want today and in the future in a partner for health and wellness. Grossman also announcing on the call today that by January 2019, there will be no artificial ingredients in any product that Weight Watchers sells to consumers, as well as internal meetings that the company holds, Brian. All right, Leslie Picker, looking at that stock. It is down just about 5%. Guys, let's trade. This has been a big moneymaker over the last year. 5% move down after hours. Anybody here own it? Worried about it? Concerned about it? Well, let's not it? kid ourselves. I mean, yeah. what'd she say? Healthy is yeah, the news. Healthy is for you. Healthy is the news for you. Weisenheimer. So, so I'm either side of two spins right now, Look, and I, I'm looking to get to buck 85 without Weight Watchers, number one. Number two, let's How not kid ourselves. How far are you away from a buck 85? I'm either side of two spins. I'm 15 <laughs> times sideways. <laughs> I can't even see you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, if Oprah didn't step in when she did, it's we might not even be talking about Weight Watchers right now. Number two. But I'll say this, you know, you look at their earnings growth, they're going to have 23% EPS growth, so the valuation isn't ridiculous. I can't believe I'm about to say this. The only reason the stock is down is because they didn't raise guidance enough. It wasn't commensurate with the beat that they had. I think you buy the stock. I can't believe I said that. Healthy is the new skinny. Well, I do, I do wonder, right. honestly, if that signifies that a business fact. model change for Weight Watchers. As more of a whole, no. she used the word holistic, a healthier approach, not as much focused on losing weight, but rather simply so maintaining your not, weight or... 
So, or or meal delivery plans. What does that mean? Which for by you, the way, Brian, is it, personally, does it, is it make you say meal hot? delivery plans? A huh. crowded space. We've had some takeouts in the private market, Blue Apron, etc. I Don't mean, look, this is a ninety dollars stock in two thousand eleven. Fell to four. If not for Oprah, it would be at four. You're right. It's back Oprah at one hundred. And it's, it probably goes back there again. This is a cyclical okay. gambling chip. Nice. Either, yeah, I like that. A lot of great phrases. Somewhere between two and three. All right, switching gears. It was a big day in telecom. The Department of Justice issuing an official brief to appeal the already approved AT&T and Time Warner deal. All this while Sprint and T-Mobile soared on reports. The DOJ has also begun an initial review of that merger, sending the options market into what can only be called a frenzy. Let's go down to Mike Coe, who is out in San Francisco with more of these moves. Mike. Yeah, quite a lot of activity. T-Mobile saw about four times the average daily options volume, and Sprint saw ten times the average daily options volume. And the Sprint activity most active on the call side were the January 6 calls. We saw over 5,000 of those trading for about 50 cents. And I think what's notable is that the stock moved about that much today, which demonstrates why those might make a good purchase for those making bullish bets who want to limit their risk. All right, Mike Cohen, San Fran. Mike, thank you very much. Enjoy the West Coast. For more options action, we got, to wait. we got five days to go, four, really. Check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. As always, up next, Final Trade. Earlier, Pete Nigerian stepped up to the plate like the big boy is to give us his pitch on Las Vegas Sands. Come on, Pete. And you know what his lucky song is when he's gambling in Sin City? It is Tony Braxton's oh. Unbreak My Heart <laughs> because the Twitterverse voting against us. Sorry, Pete, buddy. Pal. All right, time now for the final trades around the horn. Tim Seymour. He took it well. So, so look, we have this wireless conversation with Sprint and Timo. How about AT&T? I, I think they stole that media asset. I think this is a big play. Stay there. Carter. Disney peaked three years ago in August in 15. I think it makes new highs. David. Buyer Pfizer. I think money continues to flow back in this name. And Gia Domi. I'm with Pete. I'll see you in 11 hours, Brian. Win Resorts. Like it all. Good, some good pitches there. Pete and Jerry, and thank you. Thanks for joining us here. Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now. <laughs>